you know, it's also not fair. Like we have these images given to us where it's pretty much saying healthy equals this and the image of the man with the six pack on, you know, men's fitness. And it's like, honestly, you could take that exact model (laughs) who represents the, you know, physique of a desired, successful, powerful man in today's society and ask him, how do you feel about your body? And I guarantee you he has insecurities. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm back. You're co-hostess with the mostest, A.J. Meyer. And I'm still here, uh, Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 256, I sit down for part two of my chat with eating psychology coach, wellness advocate, and spoken word poet, Tessie Tracy. In part two, we dive deeper down the rabbit hole of eating psychology and body image, and we share our own histories with food and fitness. I I get a little vulnerable in this one. Uh, And Tessie also shares the first four steps of her seven-step process for identifying, connecting with, and ultimately overcoming self-love obstacles, you know, the relationship we have with that person in the mirror, especially when it comes to what we feed that person and what we think of that person's body. So that and more coming up in episode 256. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. It's now available in the iTunes App Store if you haven't downloaded it yet. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character and make stronger choices and do a whole lot more, like get off book for those last minute auditions especially, I can tell you from personal experience, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn about all the great new features in the newest version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. So, AJ, it is good to have you back, my brother. How are you? I appreciate that, man. Thank you. It is good to be back. Um, I missed you. I missed the podcast. I missed our listeners. Uh, I had an, an unexpected blow to my personal identity is the best way I can think to describe it. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great to be back here with you. Well, I know I speak for all the listeners when I say it's very nice to hear your voice again uh, on the show. Let's roll into this episode, shall we? Yeah, dude. So you had a a Young and Restless audition as well as another audition for Blacklist? Yeah, I went back again for Young and the Restless. Didn't happen um, uh, this time. And then I, I got another audition for another, you know, taping appointment for the blacklist because being that it's in, um, it's in New York. And so funny because both, uh, Jasmine and, uh, Ben Whitehair, who helped me put it on tape, said the exact same thing. They were like, that office loves you. (laughs) Congratulations. Yeah. It's, it's getting a little funny. I mean, this is what the third or fourth 
on tape audition in the past two months? Um, yeah, in the past two months, but then like over the course of the, I mean, I've auditioned for that show probably a, a close to a dozen times. Oh, 10, they're, times yeah, they're yeah. working really hard to get you on there. Yeah. And, 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 and I, <laughs> like I made this joke the last time this happened, but you know, we name the files and folders on when we edit them. We just, we did, we've gotten, it's gotten such to be such a, a easy workflow, a well-oiled machine over a Benz that, we just drop the files onto his computer. And I end up uploading from from his computer to my Vimeo account. Like mm. it's just we just do it on the spot, you know. Yeah. And so on his computer, there are these folders with the the video files in them. And so it's a blacklist. Not only has its own folder, now it has its own season folders, <laughs> and then its own episode <laughs> folders. So oh, it's like four oh five, four oh six, four eleven. You know. What I mean? like, yeah. I can like track the episodes so. Anyway, successful um, person problems, hashtag successful person problems. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the big lesson there is other than to say like, you know, it's working, you know, I've booked, I've clearly booked certain offices. They're just trying to, you know, get me in. It's already happened with the NCIS office, obviously. Um, because I had gone in the same thing, you know, I'd gone into that office probably a dozen times, gotten called back, uh, you know, a handful of times and gone to producers. So they, they all knew me. And when I walked into that room for the one that I booked, it was the same thing. It was like, hi, it's me again. I know all of you people I've seen you before, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's just, it is, it is the way that it happens. Um, and there are sometimes just long stretches of time where either nothing at all is happening or you just feel like you're getting really close and it doesn't, you know, Ben and I were talking about it last night. We were doing the blacklist thing. He said, I, I've gotten for the, one of the first times in my career, I'm actually getting mildly frustrated at the, um, at the close, but no cigar thing, which is like a great problem to have. Any actor would love to be in, you know, a top choice for, uh, any role that they were going out for. And uh, it's just happened so much so often for him and for me as well, that like, he's actually starting to get like a little, he's like, man, I would really love to turn these like, Oh, you were so close into an actual, <laughs> to an actual booking. And you know, I get it, but it, it you know, we both were like, it, it will happen. It's just a matter oh, of yeah. time. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to bet that every actor who's a series regular or, you know, working consistently in film and television or on stage, I, I guarantee if you ask them, they've all had uh, a phase like that in their life where they were just like, is this, is this going to happen or not? Like, stop teasing me. Stop teasing <laughs> Stop teasing me. It probably doesn't feel like major like success and strides, but it certainly looks like that from the outside. You know, sometimes it does feel like major successes and strides. Like when you uh, book something or when you get called back into an office that you that you know – is looking for something for you. Anyway. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, we've got some great questions queued up for this episode as well. And I think we should kick yeah. it off with uh, this voicemail from Katie. Hey, dudes. So I was just listening to Steve Orr's podcast, and uh, they were talking about uh, using gesture as a way to remember to move when you're talking. Uh, and I was thinking how that would sound like total garbage to me as an actor if I didn't know that it totally works. So there's a technique called punctuation walks, uh, where as you're memorizing your lines, you also memorize gestures that go with the punctuation of the speech. And you don't actually do those gestures 
when you perform the role, but because as you're learning the lines, you're memorizing these huge gestures, it informs the work in the same way, I think, that uh, what Steve was talking about might inform public speaking or acting in general. Anyway, just wanted to back that up for anybody who, like me, thought that that sounded like kind of bullshit advice until they realized it wasn't. All right. Love the podcast. You guys are awesome. So, yeah, less of a a question, more of a comment. And and punctuation walks is what she calls it. And actually, it brings to mind something that I remember reading about in a great, great book called How to Stop Acting by Harold, Harold Guskin. Uh, great book, and he talks about working with um, you know some pretty big names on set, coaching them through stuff, and and he is a huge advocate for um, you know physicalizing things, almost like too big, like getting them getting them out of your head and into your body, but in like a three hundred percent or three thousand percent kind of way, mm. which kind of connects you uh, to it a little bit more deeply, and then when you step into the actual scene or the actual, you know, filming or whatever it is, you can kind of use that to uh, more directly focus your your intentions. The book did not, I'm actually looking at it right now, looks like at Barnes & Noble, it only got a 2.3 out of 5 uh, rating, but on Goodreads, it's got a 4.1 out of 5, and I loved the book. I thought it was fantastic. Definitely recommended reading for any actor. But punctuation yeah. walks, that's another uh, another term for this idea. If, I wonder if that's from a book or if it's from a particular like uh, acting teacher or coach that that she had. Um, yeah. But really interesting. I'm glad it, I'm glad it resonated with people. You know, that was sort of the point of that whole series, right? We were like, there's applications uh, of this public speaking thing to acting, and we wanted to sort of highlight those, and it worked apparently <laughs> for one person. <laughs> yeah, Katie, thank you so much for for that input, man. That's really cool. Um, and I, I just I love that approach to acting. I've always been um, very connected to the physical aspect of acting. A lot of actors, I think, stay stuck uh, in their head or in their heart um, when they're exploring roles. And I've always found not only is that my sort of go to, um, but that which is not a good thing for me. But when I step outside of it and make it physical, it's like it, everything just blossoms. So um, love that. Hopefully, um, a lot of people listening are are implementing that in their in their practice. Quick shout out to VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training four years in a row. You guys can visit them online at VO2Gogo.com slash start and get access at that at that link to a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. And it's really pretty much designed for anybody and everybody who is in any way, shape, or form VO curious. So don't be intimidated. Check it out. VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. And uh, thank us later. <laughs> and then come visit me in Hollywood at one of my monthly classes. Grace Gordon, who um, recently also made a super generous donation to the podcast, uh, wrote in 
with uh, a response to, I think it was one of your picks of the week, right, Trev? Yeah, it was a um, book called Freedom by Jonathan Franzen that I loved, 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 loved. Um, and yeah, she wrote some interesting stuff. I actually clicked on some of the links in the email and read some of these articles, and I was like, whoa, this rabbit hole is pretty deep. Um, do you want to talk about this since you know the the, the sort of references she's making and, and, and since it was a response to one of your picks of the week? Yeah, totally. And this is, you know, part of a larger conversation that we've sort of been having on the podcast off and on for a few years now. But, well, first of all, Grace is a a sort of fellow book nerd, bookworm. So, uh, Grace, I'm giving you a virtual fist bump right now. Uh, (laughs) Book nerds unite. And um, she's very familiar with a lot of literature. In fact, she has a podcast, which I believe is called the Book John Podcast. And I love that because people who uh, grew up on the East Coast should recognize the term John, J-A-W-N. I don't know where it came from, but it's basically a word that was kind of like used like maybe 10 or 15 years ago a lot to just describe like a thing. So like, hey, man, hand me that John over there. Like that was, I don't know. It's a Philly thing. It's not really a thing anymore, but it was for a long time. Anyway, it, so, it, when, you, when you Google it, it literally says plural, Johns, yeah. slang, <laughs> chiefly, chiefly Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. And then, and, then, and then the definition, something, any object, place, or thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Oh, man, those were, those were the good old days. So, uh, yeah, check out her podcast, The Book John Podcast, or maybe it's just a Book John Podcast. I'll be responsible and look it up and put it in the show notes so you can check it out <laughs> directly. Um, so check our, our show notes for a link directly to that, to, to her project. But, yeah, essentially she says, um, you know, like, yeah, Jonathan Franzen's a great writer, but he's kind of an asshole, um, and she just kind of wanted to bring up this conversation. He's He's got a miserable reputation, she says, in the literary community, despite being an award-winning uh, and admired writer. Um, so she feels strongly about this, but she made a point not to go into that. She just kind of linked to some stuff online where uh, Jay Franz, as he's known as, in the in the literary communities, how he shunned Oprah when she picked the corrections, which was his first like major success. When she picked that for a book club, he kind of blew her off and said he isn't that kind of writer. Uh, and he also said he wanted to adopt an Iraqi war orphan after nine eleven because he doesn't think millennials are angry enough. Uh, he's also pretty outspoken about climate change and you know the species extinction and things like that. But he he is outspoken in such a way that. I think it alienates a lot of people. And I've, you know, dug into a lot of this stuff. And I don't know. I mean, I can see how that would color somebody's perception of an artist's work. Um, she also cites Orson Scott Card, who um, who also who wrote uh, Ender's Game and a bunch of sci-fi books like that. Yeah. Ender's Game is like a classic in the sci-fi um, you know, world. Um, but apparently, and I didn't know this, but apparently Orson Scott Card is a super right-wing homophobe and racist. So this whole kind of conversation is really about how, how, if, can you separate an artist's work from their personal views? And, And, you know, this comes up for me all the time. I feel really strongly about climate change and animal rights. And I have to sort of check myself almost every day to not, like, get out and be a major, like, radical activist with animal rights on the Internet. Um, I've tried it a few times and it's not received well. It is not. People hate that shit. 
but at the same time, it's like, how can I just stand by when this is a big, huge part of who I am? So, um, I get it. And, uh, I think it's interesting that, um, it's on all levels. You can be a uber successful author, writer, you know, artist and, and still have this kind of almost like public publicly arrived at censorship. I don't know. Hmm. Do, you have, do you have anything you wanted to sort of share about this or maybe a way forward? Yeah, I actually didn't think about the perspective that you just brought up about feeling like one of those people. I didn't, I, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think that that, that was a part of, you know, something you, you were experiencing. I was more thinking about it as, okay, a, a consumer of art or a, a person in the, um, in this conversation, you know, um, and, yeah. and all the challenging questions that that brings up. Yeah, like, I actually, you know, I, really I, interesting. yeah, I've, I've shared a few things online, you know, cause you know, when I see, um, footage of, of what happens at factory farms and even farms that are, you know, supposedly kosher and whatnot. And I see the carnage and the misery and the animals just being tortured senselessly. It's just, I, I get so worked up and I brought this up with our masterminds group and they were pretty blunt with me that, uh, uh, it's a real turnoff to, to speak up about that kind of thing. And I, it's interesting because I don't see it that way. I, I see, I see it as a service, to be completely honest. And um, part of the reason that I am sort of on this journey right now with um, this particular issue is, number one, it, it just, it's, it's, well, anyway, <laughs> I'm on this journey because somebody posted something like that that I came across. And that is what brought my awareness, like, around mm. to it in a new way. And I'm so grateful that that person had the guts yeah. and the temerity to post something that was clearly an awful thing to put on the internet that clearly would get them a lot of sort of hate mail and abuse and trolls and, uh, and so it was really, effective for you. It, for me. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, I, so you feel like, yeah, yeah, I totally get so it. Maybe, maybe it just comes down to like, just not giving a shit what people think and standing up for what you believe in. But how, how does that affect a career? I want to sort of come back to the to the because there's now there's almost like two different ways of looking at this because I think what Grace's question is like because she says something about like boycotting would you ever boycott an artist because of a, a crime a lifestyle an attitude that they possess and is there a middle ground and uh, you know I don't it, see for me there is a a, a line it's blurry. And probably very wide, but to me, there's a line between like advocacy and hate. You know, like you can advocate like crazy for animal rights, but if but where I'm going to draw the line is if you post something in favor of like the KKK or something, which people do, and to them that is advocacy, right? Mm -hmm. That is their that is what they are advocating. They are advocating white supremacy or white nationalism, which is happening across the globe right now with Brexit and Trump, et cetera, right? That is some people's advocacy. They are literally advocating for that, just like you're advocating for climate change and animal rights. And you and I probably don't see those two things as the same, but in this conversation, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. To me, they're not. I, I'm like, that's insane. But what? But the artists that come up for me right now are um, Mel Gibson, Bill Cosby, Michael Jackson, right? 
So Mel Gibson, for, for personally, I have I have actually personally boycotted him after finding out what a terrible anti-Semite he is. I will not go to any of his movies. I do not support anything that he does. Right. Um, after all this stuff, it started coming out about, you know, Michael Jackson and Bill Cosby. It was very difficult. I grew up listening to Bill Cosby, watching his like, you know, Disney stand up specials and listening to his old albums that I that I actually own on vinyl. I mean, like I grew up on that. And so part of it has been and, and same thing with Michael Jackson, like his music was huge for me growing up. So part of it has been actually trying to separate the art from the artist, which is another part of, you know, um, Grace's question. But as far as boycotting them, like, I don't know, it's like where there, there, there is sort of a um, it, it, there, there's a lot of gray area. And I think it just has to do with a, a person's like what your personal, uh, you know, moral compass is, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's tough. I don't think there's a I don't think there's a straightforward answer. I think the answer is going to be different for everyone. But it's an inter- it sure as hell is an interesting time to be having this conversation, considering we're a week away from this very contentious uh, election. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is way too close for comfort, like just super scary that that, you know, a good 48 percent of the country are about to vote for a racist, sexist, bigoted, (laughs) climate denier, insane, unintelligent gas bag um, is like um, it's like unreal to me. But tell me what what you really tell me what you really feel, though. Like, don't sugarcoat it. Okay, I won't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but we get there's there's also this like um you know uh reaching out to those people too uh mm-hmm. that 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 must feel so disenfranchised like in order to be able to make that kind of choice i don't know i don't know what's going on in their heads but um uh you know i i love them and i want to you know m- you know reach out a hand across across to them and yeah and maybe maybe that's the answer you know maybe rather than Maybe rather than boycotting, it's it, it's if you have some kind of personal connection, or if you have some way of like reaching reaching across to someone that is either an asshole or what does she call um, Orson Scott Card a racist and a homo? Maybe there's a way of being a a, um, a counter advocate, mm-hmm. if you will, like just advocating for love and. I, I, that's what I started personally with like this election, for instance, I started changing my, um, my approach on social media and stuff. And I just started talking about, you know, love and support and, and like trying to, um, you know, mend fences, if you will, because after on, on November 9th, no matter who wins, like we're going to have, it's going to be like a, you know, it's a, con- it's, it's contentious. It's one of the most contentious elections we've had in modern history yeah. probably the most and so how do we heal from that as a as a nation um and i think it has to do with you know this conversation oh, yeah. i'm crazy yeah. am i making stupid connections here no no you're you're making absolute sense and i i am a hundred percent with you on the sort of like you can't you can't fight hate with hate you know like my philosophy my approach these days is 
Like what we focus on expands. That's a law of the universe. It is absolutely true. If I focus on how much yes. debt I've got, I'm gonna have I'm gonna accrue more debt. But if I consciously steer my my consciousness, my awareness to other things, whether they quote unquote exist in the here and now or not, I'm going to create more of that. And so my my approach has just been like, look, I'm not gonna there's enough hate in the world. There's enough like bigotry and racism and all that stuff. I'm not gonna feed that anymore. I'm gonna actively focus on thinking, speaking, and doing more of what I want to see in the world. I think, you know, the, the crux of this obviously is like, you know, I love uh, I loved Ender's Game. I thought it was a great book. I love Jonathan Franzen's work, but like, do I want to support these artists by buying their work? And that's the, that's the tough part. Because I could buy their book and be like, this is a beautiful book. This is a wonderful thing. Everybody should read more. Everybody should check out this book. Well, I'm sort of uh, inadvertently supporting by, you know, paying a small portion of that person's rent, uh, the uh, continuation of their lifestyle or ideals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then it goes back to something we talked about a few episodes back where we were talking about voting with your wallet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like, oh, do you want to, like, give them money? That's why I don't yeah. go, you to, just go to the library. <laughs> get it for free. They don't get a penny. <laughs> that's such a good idea yeah. <laughs> that's so funny you know i'd love to hear people's thoughts i mean obviously it's a huge conversation and if we said hey everyone who has an opinion or feeling or thought about this write in or call in we'd be talking about just this for the rest of the forever um but i do sort of want to hear you know people's thoughts and, and obviously we can't cover you know everything that could possibly be covered in this in this subject but you know uh if there's something you really feel like we missed um or 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 grace if we were completely off base you know uh let us know (laughs) yeah i I would really love to hear other people's perspectives on this and how they handle it um because i i you know like i said i i get it i'm i deal with it a lot and um i would i know that I, i like i don't know but i feel like i'm missing something some crucial piece of the puzzle that, that somebody else is listening going like guys but 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 guys right, so right, right, if, right. if that's you call us email us write us leave us a voicemail let us know and we'll we'll definitely continue this conversation yeah all right so part two of my chat with tessie tracy coming at you right now enjoy this we'll catch you on the other side image um, because that's really what this all centers around and that's a huge sort of hot topic in our culture especially in the entertainment industry where there's so much pressure to look a certain way to dress a certain way to move a certain way to present yourself a certain way and that certain way tends to be very narrowly defined as a sort of sex object uh, I'm generalizing here, but that's that seems to be the, the uh, majority of the message that's kind of put out there in, into the world and our culture. Uh, have you had 
your own history with with body image um, kind of co- internal conversations? And if so, what what have those those conversations that history been like? For me, the I first of all agree with you that it's especially in entertainment, it's a it's a dialogue that is you know necessary to learn how to navigate. And although there are what I think definitely positive body image movements and discussions arising, uh, we still have a ways to go. Um, for me personally, I, I, I grew up, I did have someone close to me who, uh, went to treatment for eating disorder. And at that time, like I had never experienced my own, you know, I ate when I was hungry. I didn't, um, when I wasn't. And, but I got a close view of like, wow, that is, it, it really is like a sickness and Mm. it takes like working through and it's, you know, something to take seriously. Um, I had my own experience with somewhat disordered eating when I had graduated college, I was, you know, in my sports withdrawal, um, because I had been the athlete and had a coach my entire life and then found myself in a, I guess a quarter life crisis. What should I do next? Um, so of course I signed up to do a bodybuilding competition. <laughs> <laughs> there are worse and, things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are. <laughs> um, so I hired coaches. I worked with them for about five months and I was in the figure category. So, uh, that, what that basically means is my goal was to still have a very feminine figure, but extremely lean, very cut. Um, and, you know, you still go on stage and wear the bikini and that whole thing. So I, I, you know, I went down the road, the person who I was close to, who had the eating disorder said, you're an idiot. This like, why would you do something like this? Like after you knowing what I've been through and I did it anyways, because I learned my own lessons. Um, so I, I got to the point about three weeks before this show, I was so carb depleted. I, you know, started out at like 140, already lean and just muscular and lost 20 pounds. So I was then like on the day of the show, like 119, 9% body fat, had lost my period, was crying every day because I had like no cognitive function and was just an emotional carb deprived wreck and was like literally telling my friends, please remind me of this moment. Don't ever let me do this again. <laughs> the day of the show, and I started to, I, I, I discovered what it's like to go down that path of, of fearing calories and fearing food. I was scared to have a piece of gum because it had five calories. And I would count then on when I went to go run or the elliptical that I made sure to get those five calories. Like it was it was crazy, literally crazy. The day of the show, I didn't want to take my warmups off because I felt fat, you know, under my $300 shiny bikini and my three layers of spray tan. Um, I won the entire show. So I won out of like the novice category and all the experienced, like, per, like bodybuilders there. And then my, I had a lot of trouble um, going off of my diet. So immediately after the show, my coaches had like a family emergency. So they kind of pieced out on me and I hadn't asked any questions about like, how do I readjust to a normal diet? So my body, because it was in like literal, like biological starvation, it 
I binged on fats and sugars and was eating cookie dough and like got sick from it. And it, I felt so out of control. And like, I saw a therapist and, and I remember the therapist asked me, she was like, so are you going to do another show? (laughs) And I remember thinking like, I remember saying, of course not. And thinking like, but I was good at something like, (laughs) but Mm. I won, you know, I got the, I got the validation and I got the validation that was judged based only on what I looked like. Um, so following that, I still, I didn't ever do another show, but I still chose to pursue modeling and acting. So I get to Hollywood and I have a typical experience that a lot of other people have. I got a meeting with a print modeling agent and you know, now I'm still at a healthy weight. I'm fit. And the modeling agent meets me and she says, have you ever done plus size modeling? And I'm like a size six. Right. And, you know, it's literally my first experience in Hollywood with an agent. So I was like, um, and I had a commercial agent who told me I needed to either lose 10 or gain 20 to fit into, you know, the pretty girl role or the like a slightly overweight character role. Um, and those sort of things are still going on. But to me, those looking back now, you know, I wish I, I wish I could have been secure in my own body image to stand up and be like, no, this is who I am. And I wish that I could have gone to auditions. And the first thought in my mind when I didn't get it wasn't, oh, it's because I'm too big. Like I went to a lot of fitness auditions and at the fitness auditions, some, even for jobs I got hired for just walking around the room, you know, my audition, I had to be in like a sports bra. And my only thought was like, oh, I'm bigger than every single girl here. Um, so to me, it's just, that's part of the reason why I am so passionate about inspiring people to love the body they're in, because that's what translates into how other people receive us. What was that moment like that you realized this idea I have about needing to be a certain way? is not serving me anymore. What was that moment like where you just decided you know what, done with that, moving on to the next, moving on to self-acceptance, I guess. It's definitely been a continual process. A one moment where I would say I was already like most of the way there, but in my training uh, to become a certified eating psychology coach, the, the founder, Mark David, who is just a pot of flowing wisdom and gold. (laughs) Um, So going through the training, you know, I'm listening to him going through case studies and talking about body image. And I think like the insight was, was that you get to a point where it's what really matters. So if I'm spending so much energy on, oh, well, let me do a quick fix before this audition, or let me, you know, do a quick fix. If I want to do a a photo shoot, you know, a 21 day cleanse or, uh, you know, take out carbs and I'm doing it. So I'm doing it with the intent of, I need to lose some weight or I need to look a certain way, then that's like toxic and it's not serving me. And at the end of the day, it's not sustainable. Even if I lose that weight, 99% of people that go on a weight loss plan, gain it back within a year. Mm -hmm. So the, the aha moment for me was 
you know, I'm like, I'm relaxing around what I'm choosing to eat. And if I happen to have something that is not, you know, the healthiest, like I'm not going to freak out about it because that's actually just going to work against me. So the more we're hating our bodies and hating food, what that actually does, this is a little bit of a tangent. Um, but, (laughs) uh, what, what, that's actually doing is it puts us in a low level stress response. So seeing food as the enemy, seeing our body as, you know, Oh, I hate my body. It's literally like you're saying you hate yourself, puts your body in a stress response, which scientifically ups your cortisol, which has fat stay on your body, um, and has different other, you know, like health concerns. And if you're eating in a stress state, you're actually not optimizing your digestion and assimilating nutrients. So you're actually like lowering your metabolism if you're always eating in with like a negative mindset. Yeah. You know, I, we talked a little bit in the past about, uh, Brad Pilon's work with, uh, eat, stop, eat and the intermittent fasting thing, which is like a big sort of movement right now, but it's actually been around for thousands and thousands of years. Um, but one of the things he stresses in his work is, is that relationship with food. And he really stresses like for, for everybody to not demonize a specific food group or a specific meal or ingredient or anything like that, because he says that just leads to this really negative relationship with food. And that is the last thing that you want to have just learn to like teach yourself essentially to, to eat in moderation. Um, but don't demonize anything because once you do that, that, that just takes you down this, you know, the, the spiral of, of, like you just said, you know, making food the enemy and there's nothing good at the end of that. Yeah. It's like the, the same as, you know, I don't like the saying like, Oh, I'm a food addict. Um, because there's no such thing. <laughs> just like yeah. you said, you know, food's the one thing we have a relationship with that, you know, it's like sleep. That's like saying, Oh, I'm addicted to oxygen or mm-hmm. I'm addicted to sleep. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a necessary thing. And, and actually, so just like, uh, you know, in, like when we're gathered in community, our pleasure receptors go off. When we're dancing, our pleasure receptors are stimulated um, during sex. Same thing happens when we're eating. There are pleasure receptors that are going off, meaning we're actually anatomically designed physiologically to receive pleasure from our food. So I think instead of making like eating wrong that when we can, and it can be a practice for people. Like I said, you know, I've, I've seen the other side of it where it's like, Oh, well, you know, it's easier said than done. Um, but it's like anything where it's a practice. So, you know, if I could tell anyone who they're like, well, I'm an emotional eater. It's like, great. You know, it's there. For, that's your body trying to tell you something. It's a coping mechanism right, yeah. and it's okay. So instead of trying to fight it, if you just be present with it and actually just relax into, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm having this piece of chocolate cake, um, because I'm sad right now. Um, or for women, because it might be a certain time of the month <laughs> that that's okay. But if I, instead of, scarf that chocolate cake down with guilt. If I actually, you know, sit down with it and I do support, okay, maybe choose an organic chocolate cake. (laughs) That's a good high quality. Um, but I have nice, you know, bites and I'm indulging and I'm 
eating it slow and I'm, you know, savoring every bite, I'm first of all, like I said, I'm going to digest that cake better. I'm going to eat less of it because my pleasure receptors are actually going to go off and tell the brain in my belly to tell the brain in my head, oh, I'm full. I'm satisfied. That's what I needed. And then we'll stop eating. Mm. Mindfulness is such a huge part of, of, of just eating of, of food. You know, like I, I have definitely caught myself many times, especially recently, emotionally eating, just like stuffing my face just mindlessly because it feels so good, but not, not making the connection at least, you know, until of course I make the connection. Cause once you have that awareness, it's like, now you can't unsee it. But you know, when you catch yourself and you're just like, Oh, here's what I'm doing. I'm essentially self-medicating. Um, that can be a really powerful thing. And I think probably the only thing that, that really works is just bringing awareness to what is actually happening. It really is. And, and it's again, and it's not like it's about making the behavior go away. Like, I mean, I've read studies about really effectively getting people to stop smoking. The first step they said, don't stop smoking. All I want you to do is just be really present when you're smoking that cigarette. What does it taste like? What is it like? What do your lungs feel like? And like the results were astounding people like, because smoking a cigarette was their escape, they were avoiding something else. They were doing it as a distraction that when they were actually present to that behavior, the act became disgusting to them and they chose to stop, um, just by being present. So I thought that was pretty powerful. And I feel like things sometimes like either binge eating or overeating, emotional eating, uh, the same thing can be the best results, just being present. Yeah, absolutely. I I, want to talk to you about body image for men specifically, Uh, because I think it's we most of our culture is sort of in touch with the conversation around, you know, women being encouraged by the media and and, you know, things like that to be a specific way. But there's a there's an equal conversation, I think, that happens with with men um, in in a different way, but equally as powerful, equally as um, convincing and manipulative. And I will be the first to happily admit that I um, often fall victim to body image conversations. I I have a very specific idea of of the way that I want to look. Uh, A lot of it is rooted in the way I feel, you know, the way my clothes fit and the way I feel walking around. But there's a lot of, um, it's not vanity. It's, it's like, it's, uh, it's, and it's not insecurity, but there is a very sort of compulsive behavior that I've noticed I have when it comes to, you know, my reflection. Um, and I, I also, I recognize that sometimes it can be unhealthy because I, oftentimes I, you know, I, I, those, those feelings are negative and I'm, I'm in good shape. I'm not like, I'm not trying to get rid of a gut or anything, but I think that that's what a lot of the conversation isn't focusing on is that you can be completely healthy, especially yeah. as a man and still have mm-hmm. all these negative feelings, uh, about, about, you know, the way that you're perceived, uh, not only by others, but by yourself and things like that. So maybe this is a, a an opportunity to, tr- to transition into the seven R's of eating psychology that, um, that you practice as a, as a, um, intuitive eating, uh, I'm sorry, eating psychology specialist. Yeah. So 
And to, to touch on what you said with that other side with men, like I'm super passionate. I actually have a number of clients that are men that I've worked with regarding body image. And what there's a couple of things I'll say is, is that it, it stems from like, when you look up the, the definition of body image, uh, under like the national eating disorders, they have like actually a really cool, like, um, bullet point thing about the expansive definition of body image. So it's like what you believe about your own appearance, including your memories, assumptions, and generalizations, um, how you feel about your body, your height, your shape, your weight, you know, some of it is like the obvious, um, how you sense and control your body. So that's a little more like embodiment is what we call how you feel in your body, not just about Mm. your body. Mm -hmm. Um, so just some of these things where it's like, we don't necessarily understand where it comes from. Like, sure. Some of it comes from media. Some of it might come from, uh, you know, just always like the fact that, you know, you've been athlete, you've always been in shape and it's like, there's a sense of, you know, just always wanting to be great. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you know, you know what it is and I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, it's like a lot of people say to me, like, you need to back off Trevor. Like not because I'm extreme in any way. I, I, I think I'm a pretty good judge of like when I'm going, you know, too far with it. But like a lot of them say like, you know, like what do you do? Like you're done, Trevor. Like you don't need to work out today. Like you're, you're in good shape. And and for me, it's, it's like, you don't understand. Like this is part of my self-concept. Like Mm -hmm. this is what I do. I am constantly pushing myself because, and this is maybe where it gets a little unhealthy because I'm, I'm never quite content with where I am. Hmm. And I'm sure you've run into that kind of thing where you have people that yeah. are on the, the complete other side of the spectrum where a stranger would look at them and say, like, again, like, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're finished, <laughs> like yeah. mission accomplished. And, that, and yet that yeah. person is like, I, I can't get to my ideal. I need to work harder. Yeah. And that in itself, I think is, you know, it's also not fair. Like we have these images like given to us where it's pretty much saying healthy equals this and the image of the man with the six pack on, you know, men's fitness. And it's like, honestly, you could take that exact model (laughs) who represents the, you know, physique of a desired, successful, powerful man in today's society and ask him, how do you feel about your body? And I guarantee you he has insecurities. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you. And, and so in a sense, it's about saying it's not, we, we say this a lot from some of our training, the issue is not the issue, you know? So even like once I have the perfect body or it could relate to anything, you know, once I've gotten the perfect job, once I've gotten to the perfect size, the, the, the answer or like the rest of the question you need to answer for yourself is once I get this, then I'll be this. And whatever the second this is for you, for anyone, the practice is to step into that now. So just as an example, uh, once I lose 10 pounds, then I'll be sexy. Once I lose 10 pounds or once I get fit, then I'll be successful. Then I'll get the job. Then I'll get the guy. Then I'll get the girl. 
So, or then I'll be, you know, happy. So the second half of it, the practice is feeling those results, feeling the happy, feeling the sexy, feeling the successful now, no matter what we look like. And what that actually does is it creates the environment for those results to happen. Whether or not we lose the weight, when we're stepping into our happiness, when we're stepping into feeling sexy, feeling confident, and again, it's a practice, doesn't happen overnight, but when we're stepping into the ultimate result that we want, oftentimes what happens is the weight comes off without us even trying because Mm -hmm. we're just creating the environment for it to happen or the confidence develops without you changing anything else except for practicing feeling confident. Um, so that's what I'll say about that. And that has to do a lot with, so I developed a seven step process to transforming any challenge, any challenge we have specifically with food and body to this seven step process. I call it eating into it. Um, spelled like I N T U I T. So basically using our own intuition to guide us And it starts with reveal. So like I said, the issue is not the issue. It's about revealing like, okay, what's at like, what's, what is my biggest challenge right now? Is it that I have this unwanted behavior of overeating or of negative body image? So just really getting clear. Sometimes this can be done through like journaling questions or just kind of sitting quietly and thinking about it and just getting clear on like, okay, what's like that, that big challenge that's kind of like unwanted and, you know, I want to transform this behavior. And then the second step is relax. So that just has to do, I talked a little bit about it, literally just the chemistry of relaxation versus, um, stress in the body. So relaxing into, okay, this is where I'm at right now. And with food and body, it's also about so many of us eat fast. So this is about slowing down with food, relaxing when you're eating. And, you know, it does depend on what your challenge is, what the, how you will implement your relaxation. It might have to do with self-care. You're always just pushing, 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 like going, 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 living so fast that you don't even stop to, you know, take time for yourself or nourish yourself or do something that you want to just do for you. Um, So, and then you go into restore. Restoring is about uh, embracing emotional expression. So that moves into like, hey, you know, what what sort of emotions have I been pushing down? Is is there any sadness I haven't expressed? Is there any anger? Like, do I need to talk to you know someone I haven't forgiven? Um, A lot of that can be like a a root cause for certain food and body issues. It might be, you know, maybe a mom or dad or a friend who in the past was the one that was maybe a little controlling or told you you weren't pretty or good enough or just pushed you with good intentions. Um, but it caused that, you know, negative body image for you. Um, so restoring is about experiencing those emotions so we can move through them. Uh, the next step is redefine. I love this one. Um, this is about defining our own health. So this is great for like, it is 
okay, we're given a gazillion diets, like eat this, no, eat this, no, eat this. And, you know, if you're a girl, skinny and pretty is what's healthy. If you're a guy, built and brawny is what's healthy. And there are actually studies that demonstrate how people that are categorized as obese are healthier than their skinnier counterparts, meaning like go to the doctor and get your blood test done. And they're actually have like a longer lifespan. <laughs> how, is, how does that work? So it's, it's basically to say that we don't know how much any one person should weigh. Hmm. So sure. There is a point where if someone is, I would say 75 to a hundred pounds, like heavier than maybe what there are certain ranges. So like our BMI or body mass index, give us a little bit of a range of how much we should weigh based on our height and what our body composition should be. So there is a point where if that's, you know, way out of range, sure, you might have weight to lose, but there are, um, there's a documentary called embrace, um, by Taryn Brumfit. She actually started the body image movement. And in that documentary on, body image, like she's what she got a huge thing for her was she had a before picture where she did like a bikini show and lost all this weight. And then her after picture is her now at, you know, 170 to 200 pounds, however much she weighs, but she carries it well. And she's like this big vivacious woman who is healthy. She runs marathons, like all her, you know, levels when she goes to the doctor are a-okay. So we have a skewed interpretation of what's healthy, I think because of a lot of the images we're shown, when in reality, if we're going to redefine our own health, that is, it can be very individual, what's called bio-individuality, meaning one person might digest dairy different than another. One person might be able to eat Kentucky fried chicken every night and actually have like be in good health when they go to the doctor. Like there are certain things that it's just not really explainable. Um, but to define health, uh, by those ways, by, you know, what, how am I creating a life that's sustainable? Can I go to the doctor and get a good report and, you know, am I healthy spiritually, socially, recreationally? So uh, I think the expanding that definition of health, not just to a kind of what we look like <laughs> mm -hmm. or even what we eat to an extent, um, it's very limiting. So welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed part two of my chat with Tessie. Part three coming at you next week. She rounds out her seven-step process for uh, identifying and overcoming those obstacles. And man, this is a this is a deep thing. This is one of those areas of, of leverage in your life that I think if you can get a handle on your relationship with yourself, with your body, and like I said in the interview, the, the most intimate relationship you have in your life, which is with the food that you put in your mouth and chew and swallow, uh, I think that... That's really the foundation for larger transformation. You have to love yourself before you can love and do um, great things in the world for other people. And she, by the way, great job, Trev, on the interview so far. What I've heard, um, it, it's um, for anyone who's listening to this, you know, Trevor and I are, also, are obviously friends, personal friends with, uh, with uh, Tessie. 
she this is how she is like in life <laughs> like yeah. as 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 positive and bubbly and 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 like um energetic and 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 everything that you hear on the podcast that's like that is authentic and uh love having her on yeah yeah there's a, there's a link to some of her spoken word poetry in the show notes for the last episode and i may find another link and put it in the show notes for this episode but um yeah she's she's awesome man and that's like she's changing the world she's, we all have um i think our duty and responsibility to change our little piece of the world our sphere of influence and do something transformational with it and she's found what that looks like for her and i i have it's been such an honor to to watch her um discover that and then really exercise it exercise her personal power which is you know compassion and service and you know art and fitness and all those things combined all right uh picks of the week so uh, what is your your i you know your pick of the week is something i discovered recently and i i love it i do it all the time oh good i'm glad i you know uh, once again this is just me going with the whole positivity vibe like i said i've been you know, I shared the uh, the good newsletter uh, several episodes back. We talked about that. And so this is just a very, very simple thing. We all these days seem to be using Amazon to make purchases. We all seem to be shopping online. Um, Amazon created a sort of subsection of their website called Amazon Smile recently. Very simple. Smile.amazon.com is the website. If you just add that word, smile.com amazon.com before amazon.com uh you can select a charity and then a portion of your qualifying purchases go to um a a, a 501c3 uh nonprofit of your choosing and they have close to a million on there to choose from and it's it's a it's a very small you know contribution but i i think as this grows and more people use it it will continue to grow i mean I think it just started in like maybe August and they've already raised like $32 million or something like that. So, you know, it's, it's anything that we can do to, you know, um, to do good in the world, I guess is what is, is the idea. And there's so many things like this, but it it reminds me of like a, you know, an affiliate program for, you know, making a, making a big change in the world, if Mm -hmm. you will. So anyway, uh, smile.amazon.com. Very simple. Awesome. Awesome. My pick of the week is a book called Platform by a guy named Michael Hyatt. It's uh, a little bit dated at this point. He talks about a lot of technology uh, that is not so mainstream anymore, or he rather he talks about existing technology in a way uh, that kind of shows its age because it was once mainstream and it's sort of not so much anymore. Or other technologies have popped up to take its place. But this is a book that's all about building a platform for yourself online, uh, a virtual podium for you to sort of stand at and represent yourself as somebody uh, worth listening to. So if you've got a message to share online of any kind and you want to learn how to leverage technology and blogging and your voice and the way you communicate uh, in a way that will have a more sort of poignant impact... (laughs) so to speak. Uh, Check it out. It's a great book uh, that I really, really enjoyed. And it's definitely the kind of book you'll want to own to reference, um, you know, as you go through your, your journey. Um, Because there's, there's a chapter in there for just about every aspect of building a platform, whether it's speaking or blogging or podcasting, or just being on Twitter, or just being a human being walking around on the street outside. A lot of really good stuff in there. Highly recommend it. Platform by 
Michael Hyatt. And uh, we've got a link to both the the book on Amazon, uh, where you can buy a hard copy or a Kindle version, uh, as as well as the audiobook on Audible. But I would recommend going with the hard copy, uh, just because it's it's so um, instructional that you may want to revisit individual chapters and see those those instructions and stuff in print. So uh, yeah, platform by Michael Hyatt. All right. Well, I think that does it then. Yeah. Uh, let's get out of here, shall we? All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, A.J. Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. Trevor Algat edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. And Fern Lim designed our logo. And uh, we have a special announcement here, um, uh, actually sort of a two-pronged announcement uh, related to, to one another. But um, our director of public relations, Timothy Patrick Waterman, um, is moving on to other pastures. And um, we just wanted to um, take a moment, pause, reflect, and, and, and seriously, sincerely thank him for the work that he's done on the podcast. Um, Timothy was probably the biggest uh, force for positive change in the PR sector and the social media sector of the podcast that we've had in the six years that we've been been doing it. He absolutely crushed it, um, made such a big difference, um, uh, was, was sort of uh, always, you know, making uh, – a concerted effort to connect with our listeners and, and the community, um, and and just d- did the job with with like the most. Um, I mean, so effective and so. Uh, I mean, and it's him. It's reflective of his personality. But I was going to say so effective and so um, nice, like so generous and genuine. Um, and so, uh, yeah, personally, and I know I speak for Trevor as well on the podcast. Just wanted to say thank you. And if you have anything you want to add, Trev. Yeah, I mean, I just I'm so grateful for for the work that he did. It was really awesome. The guy, the guy. Hey, Tim. <laughs> um, he really, you know, got uh, the podcast, and he, you know, continu- continues to get. Um, he gets the podcast. He gets the culture. He gets what our vibe is. And um, I was so grateful for for the work he did for us. So thank you, Tim. Uh, we had a nice long chat about it on the phone last week. So you know how I feel uh, about all the work you do, um, and I'm really excited for what's next for you. So thank you for your um, service, and we are now, of course, looking for a new director of public relations. This is somebody who will support us with social media, mostly our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook feeds, things like that, uh, reaching out to other communities online just to make a connection and keep a conversation uh, going because we're very much about community, and uh, keeping our listeners informed about upcoming episodes, events, things like that. Uh, time commitment is anywhere from probably 45 minutes to two hours a week. So it's pretty it's a pretty minimal time commitment. Um, and you'd be working with a, a team of people who are just looking to get good stuff out there with the podcast. So there are a few sort of um, recurring tasks that need to be completed every week that it would be a huge help to have the right person uh, doing this for us. Uh would be a weird sentence sorry but if this sounds like something that would be a good time for you something you'd be interested in in learning more about or or taking on shoot us an email at support at insideacting.net and that will go straight to the people it needs to go to to uh, start the conversation about that 
so yeah uh, looking forward to hearing from, from people who are interested you can sign up if you're listening to this and you'd like to hear more from us sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes at our website insideacting.net also find us on the aforementioned Twitter Instagrams YouTubes Facebooks SoundClouds Stitchers and iTunes and if you do nothing else uh, giving us a, a nice review on iTunes is a, is a great way to support the podcast if you're not ready to support in other ways it's kind of like just putting a tip in our tip jar a sort of emotional spiritual goodwill tip in our tip jar and it helps other people discover the show too so that would be huge if uh if you take a moment to do that we would love you for a long time <laughs> special thanks to our sponsors rehearsal pro and vo2gogo.com and to you of course our listeners couldn't do it without you if you if you love what we do here if you love inside acting you want to maximize its value in your life and career and of course most importantly, support the continued production of the podcast. You can sign up as a member, and uh, which will you know contribute on a monthly basis to the podcast. But in addition to that, you'll get um, you know some cool perks like access to our private member uh, community message board, uh, invite to exclusive member meetups, fun freebies, special bonus content, uh, discount. We you know we gave our members a discount on the Express Headshot Day, um, and much much more. Uh, it's only seven bucks a month. You get a discount if you sign up for a year, or two months free, rather, if you sign up for a year. Just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab to get started. You can also, uh, if you don't want to do a, a recurring monthly thing or a yearly thing, you can uh, make a one-time, no-strings-attached, tax-deductible donation by visiting insideacting.net slash contribute. And that does it for episode 256 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, do good in the world. <laughs>